0: Turn to Matthew chapter 6 as, uh, as we continue studying this model of prayer that Jesus has given us. Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to read uh, beginning in verse 9. I'll read through what we oftentimes call the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer. Jesus is preaching, and He says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. Father I pray that you would bless the reading of your word this morning that your spirit would come and and help us to receive this with gladness. Lord I know that this is a uh, a word that is very timely. We all need to hear this. Lord, I pray that we would would grow from this time. Um, and, and I ask just especially that your spirit would come and, and, and work. If your spirit doesn't come, this is all worthless and this is a, a dead sermon. So I need you to come and help me as I, as I proclaim your truth. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Um, So we've been on the Lord's Prayer for three weeks now And we spent number one on that word, our And we talked about, basically, those who will be looking at this prayer as a model When we say our, we're, we're meaning us Christians from all places, all times, every generation The Catholic, little c, church Not Roman Catholic, but the universal church from all ages, all times That's who's going to be praying this prayer and then for the past two weeks, we've looked at the specific attributes of God that are named here in the address of this prayer or the invocation. We looked at that the first word, Father. God is a father. He's not an absent, emotionless being floating around in space. No, he's a father. He's near to us. He, he relates to us. He's intimate. And then last week we, we saw the next phrase in heaven. And we talked about that eternal status to which God must be held. He is in the heavens. That, that His being in heaven is not so much a place where He resides. Like you go to heaven, go in the front door, down the hall to the left, you'll see God in there. No, that the in heavens is, is our ascribing to God His transcendent nature. That he, he transcends the natural realm and the supernatural realm and that He is all-powerful. That He's above all others. That nothing can thwart His plans. We saw, we, we looked at Psalm one fifteen three. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. That was last week. Today we're gonna to look at another attribute of God. And and in studying this past week I, I battle within myself as I often do when I'm looking at attributes of God because as I study I come to the realization that this this truth is way bigger than, than any human could articulate in words, especially me. Those of you who've spent much time with me in conversation know that my my, my conversation is, is usually contained to you know small amount, small groups of words. I, I struggle with words and so I'm, I'm coming at this and I'm, I'm trying to think how can I get the people to understand what it means to hallow God's name. And so what I'm going to help you do and what I'm going to continue to do as I go through this again is we're just going to doing this. We're just scratching the surface. I'm helping you scratch the surface of the nature and the character of God and I want us to understand how it is that we should approach God because this is, this is very important, how we come to God. Now, as a reminder, we're in this section of this Sermon on the Mount. We're in chapter 6 where Jesus is warning His listeners against practicing their righteous deeds in order to be seen by other people. And then here He's giving this model prayer as a way to warn against... Praying against being seen or for the reason of being seen in the beginning of this prayer is is designed to make sure that that doesn't happen. When you start a prayer looking at God, focusing on the Lord first and foremost, you're, you're immediately thrown off your course if you're trying to pray in order to be seen. If you're praying in order to be seen, ultimately, you're just praying for yourself. You're trying to pump yourself up. You want people to look at you and praise you. And Jesus says, no, pray like this. Start with God. When you start with who God is and the nature and the character of God, then we, then you're thrown off. And, and so we, we saw a couple weeks ago, as I kind of sh- explained the structure, that after verse 10, verse 11 and 12 and 13, that's when we move into kind of our own requests. But that's only after verses 9 and 10 are spent looking at God, focusing on God. And so that's what Jesus... Is doing here. So we started off, like I said, talking about God as our Father. Yes, He is intimate and near to us, but then we very quickly say in heaven. We move very quickly to the truth that our God is in the heavens. That is to say, He is high and lifted up, He is to be exalted and worshiped as such. So today's phrase, Hallowed be your name, drives that truth even deeper. And that's very important for us because we have this tendency to swing to one of two extremes. Either we do like the Jews had done and we, we, we want to reverence God but we misunderstand His holiness and so we don't know Him as Father, which was their fault. Or we swing to the other extreme and God becomes just like Dad. Because we, this is this is what we most of us have experienced. This we've grown up in maybe a more uh, a more fundamentalist background, maybe a little stricter idea, and so we've grown up and we got we turned into teenagers and we got smart and we read Romans eight fifteen and it says, "Oh, we can say you know Abba Father," which is Aramaic for Papa or Daddy. This is a term of endearment, so I can just call God Dad, Yo Dad. You know, I got some requests for you, Dad, and we tend to. Begin to treat God like he's our earthly father. And we pick on dad. We joke about dad getting old. Sometimes we we talk back to, to dad. Or we, we treat dad with far less respect than he deserves. And then all of a sudden God just becomes dad. And I can talk to God like I do dad. And I would venture to say that that is our... Our leniency we, we tend to swing towards that extreme because we have forgotten we 've gotten too smart to understand the holiness of god we 've forgotten reverence because we want to be laid back and we, 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 won't, we want people to to feel comfortable around us as christians and i 'm not saying that they shouldn 't but when you come into the presence of god you 're in the presence of god you 're talking. To God and so I think we have we oftentimes swing away from that. We we aren't in awe of God anymore. We talk about Him so much, He's, his name is thrown into sentences and conversations, and we begin to treat Him like we treat our earthly fathers with far less respect than He than they deserve and of course than He deserves. And so today's phrase, Hallowed be Your Name, is 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 driving that point harder. Not so much that God is close and an intimate Father, but that He is high and exalted. He is holy and He is to be revered as such. Yes, He is our Father, but He's also in the heavens. We also pray, hallowed be Your name. Notice, one mention of His nearness and His fatherhood, which is very important. Two mentions of His loftiness and His holiness and His grandeur as God. And so... That's what we're going to talk about. And before we get to the, the words themselves, I want to take a minute and remind you what's happening at this point in the prayer. We talked a couple of weeks ago about petitions. And this, this prayer is listed in petitions. Now, theologians go back and forth about whether there are six or seven petitions. It really doesn't matter. Um, the petitions are, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven... Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I count seven. Some people put verse 12 as one petition. Okay? That really doesn't matter. What we need to understand is what a petition is and what it is that Jesus is trying to teach us in phrasing the prayer this way. A petition, you guys have probably heard of petitions, is just a formal request. It's usually written out. And so you've you've seen that people will pass around a petition. They want to get something done, that they they want to see something happen, and so they pass around a petition. Sign your name to this petition. The more names that they get, the more likely it is that, that whatever this petition is for will happen. So that's what a petition is. It's a person or a group of people saying, This is what we want to see happen. It's a petition. Now, when we read this prayer, we don't see the words, I want, or we want, but that's what these petitions are saying. So, when we model this prayer, once again, this is not given as a, as a we, we quote this prayer, and it's a special mantra that we say. But we model this prayer. So, as we model this prayer, our prayers should be... It should contain in them a spirit of wanting the things that Jesus says we should be wanting. He's saying, you're going to petition God for this because you're going to pray like this. And when we pray like this, we should be wanting this. And so, God is all powerful, like we learned last week. So, it only stands to reason that if we petition Him for things that we understand He's going to come through with it. He can do what we're petitioning Him for. So that's what it means when we petition God. We're saying, God, I want to see this happen when <clears throat> we say it. So we have our phrase, hallowed be your name. This is the first petition. This is the first thing that Jesus models for us to be asking for in our prayers. Hallowed be your name. That's priority, okay? Jesus didn't just throw this out there. He, he, he spoke The words, these are the words of God in specific order, in a way, they're structured very specifically. And so this is a priority. Only after we have petitioned God in this way should we move to petition Him to other things. This request, hallowed be your name, should be first and foremost in our prayers. This should be the most important prayer request that we ever pray. If you don't have time to pray this request... You don't have time to pray. This comes first. Hallowed be your name. True Christian prayer is done in a spirit that says, Hallowed be your name. I want your name to be hallowed. So what does this mean? Uh, This is not just some throw out phrase like, you know, God save the queen or your majesty or whatever. No, this is very specific. The word hallowed means to make Holy or to sanctify, be sanctified, to set apart or be different. So when we request that God's name be hallowed, we're saying that we want his name to be set apart. We want His name to be different than everything else. We want God's name to be high and lifted up. His name to be worshipped and reverenced. We want people to hold God's name with the respect and the honor that it deserves. That's what we're saying. How dare we ever allow God's name to get mixed in with all the other idols that we fill our lives with every day. How dare we put God on a shelf with something else when He has said you will worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. That means if you're going to worship me and something else, just go worship everything else. He will not be worshipped alongside anything else. And that's what He's saying. His name is to be different. His name is to be revered, set apart. It is to be hallowed is to be set out as different and revered as such. So when we pray, we don't say, Yo, Dad, what's up? i got some requests. No, we're coming to the God of the universe in prayer. We're coming into His presence. We don't talk to God like we would another person. And I would almost, I would imagine, I would bet, that most of you would think twice about speaking disrespectfully to a boss man or a police officer at a license check. Uh, that, that's me. I'm, I'm yes, sir. No, sir. I don't. I don't want a ticket, sir. Please, sir. Let me go, sir. We okay. A judge in a courtroom. We would never imagine just speaking disrespectfully. We we dress up to go to court better than most of us do when we come here. We dress up because we want the judge to like us. Well, how much more so? should it be when we go to God in prayer not so much that God is looking at how we dress but our attitude we are approaching God we don't talk to Him like He's just somebody He's God and that's what this means hallowed be your name the second part your name or be your name hallowed be your name what does Jesus mean when He talks about the name of God I'll start off by telling you what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean the actual word, God, or the letters that make up the name of God, Yahweh. That's not what he means. He's not saying that the the letters, Y-H-W-H, that make up the tetragrammaton known as Yahweh, that's a new word for you guys, it just means it's got four letters, okay? He's not saying those letters, hold them up, you know? We've got to lift up the Y, baby, lift up the H, Lift up the W. That's not what he's saying. There are no vowels in the Hebrew. That's why it's YHWH if you guys are wondering. So the Jews, they they got this all wrong. They they had completely misunderstood this and they took this idea to the extreme. So when they're writing scripture or laws, copying down the law of Moses, when it came to the title of God, they would either just leave a blank because we're not holy enough to write that name. Or, sometimes they would substitute in Adonai, which you see in the Old Testament, which means Lord or Master. Or they would write a letter, go and take a bath, come back, write a letter, go and take a bath, come back, write a letter, go and take a bath, come back, and so on. They had completely, they misunderstood this idea of revering God's name. When we get the name Jehovah. That is the consonants of the name Yahweh filled in with the vowels from the name Adonai. Because they were like, we can't can't do God's name, so let's come up with something. And in Hebrew, that's how we come up with Jehovah. It's not ever given as a name for God, but that's what they came up with. Because they thought, God's name. We cannot say God's name. And they had completely misunderstood what it meant to hold God's name in reverence. When the scripture refers to God's name like this, it's referring to all that God is in his being as God, his complete character. It's referring to all of his attributes as they come together perfectly and in their totality to be God. That's his name. That's what is meant by the name of God. Now we kind of have a way of understanding this. If I were to say somebody has, he's really gone out and made a name for himself. Okay, now I, I don't mean, and you would, never, you would never take me to mean that somebody left and got some letters and constructed this word that was going to be their title. And they came back and they said, I made a name for myself, it's blank. But it, we wouldn't think that. When we say somebody has made a name for themselves, we mean that they have done something that whenever you hear their name, you think of that, that character that they have done, that character trait. For example, I could say Barak. Okay, most of you are not thinking of the Old Testament character, Barak. You're thinking of the President of the United States. That's the idea. There's, there's, there's this way of thinking of a name that carries with it all of the character of that person or that being. So when God says, or when Jesus says to pray, hallowed be your name. then the scriptures talk about the name of God. They're referring to all that he is. Everything that makes God, God. All that God is, is summed up in His name. Now I'll prove this to you. If you you have a Bible, turn to Exodus 33. Exodus 33, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. That honestly we could spend years and years studying this. and, And still not grasp all that God is. But in Exodus 33, Moses is talking to God. And I'm going to begin, I'm just going to read two verses, 18 and 19, and then we'll skip to chapter 34. Exodus 33, 18 and 19. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he, that's God, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So notice, Moses asked God, Show me your glory. God proclaimed his name to Moses. He said, The Lord, that is Yahweh. And then he proceeds to explain what his name meant. Now, this is the name that God gave to Moses in chapter 3. He said, Tell them, I am sent you, I am that I am, or I will be what I will be, or I will do what I will do, or here, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. All of that is summed up in the name of God. It is is a part of God's essential character and nature to dispense mercy, and love, and grace, and kindness, and in addition to that, wrath on whomever he pleases without taking counsel with anything outside of himself it's all contained in his character he doesn't ask us how we feel about stuff or do you think this will be cool if i done this he's never come to me for advice he he does this and that's a part of his nature his name let's skip down to chapter 34 verse 5 the lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, that's Yahweh, Yahweh. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty... Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Notice again. He proclaimed the name of the Lord. And that was immediately followed with the character of God. As he dispenses his love and his mercy and his justice. It's a part of God's name. His essential character. His eternal nature to dispense love. And mercy and kindness and justice and judgment and wrath. That's what He is. Contained in God's name is all that He is. And all that He does as God. We should never exalt one of God's attributes over another. Because they're all perfectly complete and in their totality contained in Him. That makes Him God. God. So if we ever exalt one attribute of God over another attribute, we've invented our own God. We have reduced God to something that we've made up rather than understanding and worshiping God as He has revealed Himself in Scripture. And it's interesting if you note in verse 8, it says, Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. This is a proper response to the revelation of who God is. He dropped his head to the ground and he worshiped. Martin Lloyd-Jones said the name, in other words, means all that is true of God, all that has been revealed concerning God. It means God and all His attributes, God and all He is in and of Himself, God and all that He has done and all that He is doing. All of that is summed up in His name. In Scripture, the name of God is virtually indistinguishable from His name. Character from the person of God. So when we talk about the name of God, we don't just mean the word or the title or the letters. We mean all that He is. So we put this together. We get, Hallowed be your name. We're petitioning God. We're saying, God. We're asking Him that all that He is and all that is contained in His being be held up and lifted and reverenced and exalted and worshipped, holy, set apart, different than everything else. All that He is. So we're saying, God, this is what I want from You first and foremost above all my other requests. I want Your name. Everything that You are. Everything that you have said, everything that you have ever done, and everything that you are going to do to be lifted up and exalted and held in reverence above all other things in the universe. You and you alone are worthy to be worshipped. That's what we're saying when we pray this. When this spirit is in our prayers, this is what it looks like. We're saying, God... I'm here to tell you right now that I desire to see you lifted up, magnified, and worshipped above all things. A question to consider, how often do our prayers actually look like this compared to, oh God, if you could really just help me do this, or help me do that, or even even very you know very valid prayer requests You've got to have a family member who's sick or someone who's lost and these are valid prayer requests but how often do we just we just go to god for that rather than spend a little time telling him who he is worshipping him how often do our lives model this spirit that god in his glory Is first and foremost in priority. John Calvin said the substance of this petition. Is that the glory of God may shine in the world. And may be duly acknowledged by men. That was the centerpiece of all of Calvin's theology. Was that God is number one. He's the centerpiece of everything. What he says and what he has done. Is is the centerpiece. It is central. He is sovereign over all all things. So when we we pray like this, we're asking God to do whatever it takes for his name and his glory to be the most reverenced name in the universe, for him to be the supreme delight of every person on planet earth. So when we talk about God's name, we mean all that he is, all that he has said in his word, All that He has done and is doing above all else. God, we want You to be magnified. We want You to be respected. We want You to be adored. You to be worshipped. It's not about us. It's not about building my kingdom. Who cares? I read a theologian that said, here's your your life. Share the gospel. Die. Be forgotten. What else matters? We worship God. And it doesn't matter who knows that we have ever been here. If God is worshipped. And so this is... What this prayer, the spirit of this petition is saying is that we want you to be worshipped and specifically as you have revealed yourself. If you've got an idea of God that didn't come out of this book, you've invented a false God. Plain and simple. If it did not come out of the pages of Scripture, it's not a, it's not a real God. It's a demon, Scripture teaches, that has convinced you that this is God. And even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. And so there's so many people who think that they are worshipping the God of the Bible. When in fact they're worshipping their own invention in their minds. So we pray this first. Because we're saying God if nothing else ever gets done. I want your name to be hallowed. Every request that I could ever come up with or bring to you. Is ultimately going to be brought to fruition. In your name being hallowed. If your name is hallowed, nothing else matters. That's what we're saying when we pray like this. When we pray like this, we're praying like Jesus prayed. He taught us to pray this and then he modeled it in, in John chapter 12. He said, Father, glorify your name. And God spoke from heaven and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. We, have, we never have to doubt if, if if we pray this request, Father, Father, I want Your name to be hallowed, we never have to wonder if God's going to do it. Most assuredly, He will glorify His name because God's chief end and all that He has ever done and all that He will ever do is to exalt His name in the universe and among the nations. That's His main priority. And, and Scripture speaks to this so often and so clearly. There are many scriptures that show this. I'm going to read five just to give you a glimpse of this. 1 Samuel 12 22 For the Lord will not forsake His people because He wants them to be really happy. No way. For His great namesake Because it has pleased the Lord to make you His people. That's why He does what He does. Psalm 23, you know this psalm that we we latch on to. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's it's so peaceful and it makes us so happy. Verse 3, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness because He wants me to be comfortable and warm and fuzzy. No. For His name's sake. Oh, that's why He does what He does. For His name's sake. Psalm 106.8, nevertheless he saved them for his namesake, that he might make his mighty power known. Isaiah 48.9, for my name's sake I will defer my anger and for my praise I will restrain it from you so that I do not cut you off. Ezekiel thirty six twenty two. This is a prophecy about the new covenant. It's teaching us what's going to happen with the new covenant people as we are born again. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God: I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. Why did God save you for His name's sake? Why is God working in your life for His name's sake? That's the ultimate goal of all that God is doing. And so if I come to God and I pray, God, I want you to be glorified. I want your name to be exalted and hallowed and holy. I want people to reverence you and worship you. You know what he's going to say every time? you got it. I've always done that and I'm going to keep on doing it. So you got it. You want your prayers to be answered? Pray hallowed be your name. God, I just want you to be worshipped. And whatever happens, whatever takes place... I want your name to be hallowed, to be revered, to be set apart, to be lifted up and honored. So what does this look like in our prayers? Well, like we've already said, God comes first. In our prayer life, God comes first. Prayer and and studying scripture and learning about prayer is not ultimately about figuring out how I can pray in order to get what I want. And Jesus says, you know, there's, there's many times where Jesus says, if you pray these things in my name... You'll get it, and people just study this stuff. What do I have to do to pray to get God to give me what I want? That's not what prayer is about. If that's why you're praying, you've missed it. Prayer is about aligning ourselves with God's plans, God's purposes, and making sure that He and He alone is worshipped and adored, and He is our main priority. So in our prayers, God will be revered. We won't come to God like He's a buddy at work. We'll come to Him with reverence. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Do we get to make up how we worship God? Nope. He tells us. Acceptable worship equals reverence and awe. That's how God will be worshipped. Notice, He is a consuming fire. This takes us back to the picture at Mount Sinai. Remember, they, God had covered the mountain in a thick, dark smoke. And the people were scared. Now, we don't approach Him anymore like that. We don't, we're, he's not unapproachable. We can come before Him by the blood of Jesus into His presence. But He's still the same God who covered that mountain with a thick, dark smoke. He's still the same God. He's never changed. And so we need to understand that. When we approach God, He is still a consuming fire. And He needs and must be held and and adored and approached with reverence and awe. We need to understand that. When we pray like this, God is respected for who He is. When honor for God's name is made a priority, and His glory and His purposes are held in high regard, then we will begin to have a respect for God that He deserves. Our, our lives will be shaped by this. We won't approach God out of vain conceit, demanding this, demanding this. God, I've done this, and so you need to give me this. I said this, I've done this right, and so God, why aren't you give me what I want? I paid my money into the, the God vending machine, and so give me my stuff. No, we won't do that. We will come to God with reverence and awe and respect, and we will give Him our petitions, but with a proper respect to His own desires. Similarly, when we pray like this, God is honored, and we will honor His will and His design above everything else, above all our requests. So it won't matter what we have going on in our lives, ultimately. God's will comes first. This is one of the hardest things for us to understand, because we'll have a loved one that's hours, days, weeks from slipping into eternity, and we want them to be here. And we have to pray, God, I want them to be here. But your will comes first. You're in control. And we are shaped by this and we honor God when we do that. And we pray just like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will, not mine. Jesus was staring down Calvary. And he said, I really wish it couldn't. it didn't have to be like this. But above that, above my life, your will be done. That's what we're praying when we do this. We have this spirit. We're not mimicking these words or quoting this prayer, but this spirit should resound in our prayers. God should come first and God should be respected and God should be held in high regard. His name should be hallowed. We're asking God to make His name and Himself a priority. We're asking God, I want you to be the priority of every man, woman, and child in this town, in the next town, and the next town, and planet earth. I want you to be worshipped. That's why we send missionaries, because there are people who are not worshipping the name of God, and that's a problem. Because He deserves all the worship. He, he needs it. And so we want people to worship God. But we won't pray like this until we actually see God's name and God's glory as a priority. We're not going to think like this. If our lives are not reflective of this petition, then we won't pray like this. Oddly enough, if we don't pray like this, our lives will not be reflective of this petition. We have to get this and and be consumed with this and it will influence our lives and our, our, our prayer lives. We'll begin to grasp this truth and our lives and our prayers will be shaped by God's priority over everything else. And we will truly live lives that show we want God's name to be hallowed. That's what we want. Not my name. Not Axis Church. God. That's that's what we're praying. So what does this look like in reality? Well, our lives, our daily activities will begin, continue, and end with God's glory in mind. All the time. All of our thoughts... Get this, all of our thoughts will be God-glorifying thoughts. Our minds will be constantly consumed with the reverence of God's name. We'll sit and we'll just think about the goodness of God, the nearness of God, the love of God, the righteous anger of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. This will just consume us. Thoughts of God will plague our minds all the time. We won't be able to get them out of our heads. Our family life will be reoriented where God's glory is a priority. We will refuse to waste time with trivial garbage. But we will wrap our family lives around God. So that everything that happens in our homes will be exalting God. All the time is oriented around the glory of God. And His name will be hallowed inside of our homes. Your business or your calling, wherever you work. You'll do that to the glory of God throughout the day, throughout your week and your months. God's name will be hallowed. Everything that you're doing. It's for the glory of God. I just want to make God known. That doesn't mean you're doing these amazing things. It just means, hey, you're being a good worker. Where God has called you and it's for His glory. That's what that means. It's interesting to note, some of you probably noticed that, that when God proclaimed His name to Moses in Exodus 34, He completely contradicted Himself. In the nature of God, there was a contradiction he proclaimed His name. He said, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's all great. We love that part of God. We worship God because of this. But then He goes on to say, But, will, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. You see that contradiction? He's, he's forgiving. There's mercy and steadfast love and forgiveness. But he will by no means clear the guilty. No means. That is to say that it is essential to God's character And His nature to love and forgive and show mercy. And at the exact same time, no guilty person goes unpunished. Now how can that be? How can there be a contradiction in the nature of God where He forgives, but at the exact same time, all sin is punished? In John 17, 6, I think we see the answer at the beginning of the verse. This is Jesus Praying, And he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. He says he's manifested God's name to his disciples specifically by implication us. That is to say that all that God has ever done, all that God will ever do, all of the divine nature, all of God's attributes, all of his character, his substance is shown to us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus manifested the name of God to us. So how does God show love, mercy, faithfulness, forgiveness? Well, at the same time, will by no means clear the guilty? The answer is Jesus. In Jesus Christ, we see the love of God, we see the mercy of God, we see the grace of God, kindness of God. And then Jesus goes to the cross and at the exact same time we see that all sin is punished. Christ died on the cross in our place. And we see all of those attributes, the good attributes that we love, while at the same time God's wrath being poured out on sin. God's righteousness. Anger being unleashed on His Son. God's justice vindicated on His Son all at the same time. The greatest picture that we will ever see of God's name being hallowed is Jesus on the cross for our sin. That's the picture that we get God's own Son goes to Calvary, pours out His blood for sinners like you and like me. And that is God's name being hallowed perfectly to the extent that it deserves So you want to hallow God's name? You lift up Christ. You adore Christ. You preach Christ. You preach the foolishness of the cross. This message that makes no sense to anybody in the world. You preach it. You lift up Jesus. And when Jesus is the supreme delight of your soul. And when Jesus and His name and His gospel is proclaimed to the ends of the earth. God's name is hallowed. That's God's name being hallowed in reality in our lives. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, or when our prayers have this spirit about them, we're saying that we have a burning desire deep within us that that the world would bow before King Jesus before it's too late. Because ultimately everybody's going to bow. Everybody. But we want them to do it before they are forced to do it. We want everyone to worship Jesus in adoration and reverence and praise and worship and honor and thanksgiving. To the glory of the Father, we we want all people to worship and hallow God's name. And that should be more important to us than anything on the planet. Family, friends, job, career. that That all should pale in comparison to seeing to it as best you can that God's name be hallowed. But the truth is, none of us have ever done this, even for a moment. We've never lived a single split second holding God's name to the level that it deserves. Because we, we just can't. We are fallen, sinful creatures. We can't do this. We can't even fathom the level to which his name should be held. We fall short. We read this prayer. We say, oh, God's name should be hallowed. But man, it's really hard to get this. I found myself this week. I start praying. and have to say, nope, start over. Almost every time. Because I forget. We drift, we're like, the scripture says, we're like sheep, we're prone to wonder. It's so easy, we just forget it. We've never done this. We don't love God like we should. We don't revere God like we should. We don't uphold His glory like we should. We don't respect God like we should. Not even for a moment have any of us ever done this. The good news is, not only did Jesus die in our place, but He also lived in our place. Up until that point, and even in his death, he lived every single second of his life exalting God's name, hallowing God's name to the right place where it deserves. Every word he ever said was to the glory of the Father. Every place he ever went, every relationship he ever struck up, every conversation he ever had was to the glory of God the Father. With, it was lived with the exaltation and the respect and the honor and the reverence for the name of God the Father that it deserves. Every second. Can you imagine? Every second of every day. This is for God's glory. This is for God's glory. This I mean, He did it. Perfectly he done this in our place. He lived in our place. He died in our place. He was raised again as the first fruits of the resurrection. You know what that means? That means now we can can go after this with everything we are. Everything. Abandon everything to make God's name known. Worst case scenario, you're killed and you're raised again just like He was. Worst case scenario. We can do this. We are compelled by the gospel... Jesus rose from the grave. And so if He was the firstfruits, then we will also raise. And so this life can just be poured out like Paul said as a drink offering. This is for you, God. I'm pouring it out. It doesn't matter to me what happens. It doesn't matter because it's all for God's glory. Our lives can be poured out and someday we'll be raised again. And He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. You did what you were supposed to do. But we'll be with Him forever. And all eternity will be spent saying, Hallowed be Your name forever. It never changes. This has been the song from before eternity to future eternity forever. It's God's name is hallowed. Everything He does is God's name be hallowed. And so some of us, maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. Maybe you're trying to be good. You're trying to hallow God's name, but you realize that it's, it's just, you're, you're understanding that your righteousness, your goodness, it's never going to cut it, ever. God's standard is too high. The only option you have is that somebody else could have done it for you, in your place. And that's where Jesus comes in. And so if that's you, then my, my, my encouragement, my plea is trust Jesus. Just trust in Jesus. Cling to Jesus. He is the only way that we can be right with the Father. Only way. So let's pray and we'll be dismissed.